0: WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 769 0600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to another Upfront program for uh, this uh, Tuesday morning. I'm Roger Bouchard here every day, as we have been. Uh, since uh, 1983. Long time. Anyway, uh, nice to have you along. And we're going to uh, continue our interview of the candidates for the 1st uh, Congressional District right here uh, in Woonsocket, making its way down the Blackstone Valley into Newport. And uh, so um, tomorrow, our guest is uh, State Senator um, Sandra Kano, and uh, we'll uh, be chatting with her about her candidacy ...for uh, that first congressional seat. And um, next week, uh, we've uh, set aside Tuesday and Wednesday for a couple of more candidates. I th- believe uh, we have um, uh, Mr. Uh, Lawson. I, I think so. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, that's next week. We'll, we'll keep you posted on, uh, on who is coming next week. This week on our uh, live line, we uh, welcome uh, Professor uh, Walter Burbrook... And he is running in the 1st Congressional District. We're going to check in and see if we have a nice, uh, good connection. How are you doing this morning, Walter? Good morning, Roger. How, how do you hear me? I can hear you good. If you can hear me, all right, we're ready to go. How are you doing? Perfect. Okay.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. Doing very well.
0: All right. So, you know, when I was uh, preparing for this program, um, I printed, um, oh, oh, I'd say maybe six or seven weeks ago, uh, Kathy Gregg. I don't know if she interviewed you. But she did do a story and described you as former U.S. Naval War College professor announcing his run. And we'll uh, we'll chat about um, a few things that she mentioned in the article and so forth. But what I didn't expect to be asking you about, uh, and everybody seems to be commenting on it. Uh, Sandra Kano commented on it. Uh, Abe, uh, Gabe uh, Amo, who was here last week, commented on it. Um, and that is... The situation in Jamestown and the integrity of uh, getting uh, signatures that are bona fide people. So I was wondering if you wanted to join the field of people who want to comment on that, because the campaign of uh, Matos acknowledged that there uh, there is um, something going on, and, and they weren't too happy about it either. Sure, sure.
1: Well, you know, first of all, you know, you know, I'm extremely grateful, you know, and proud of Archie who. Our staff, volunteers, uh, for their efforts. You know, you know, some campaigns, you know, went ahead, went ahead and paid folks to get signatures. As you acknowledge, there's allegations of, of fraudulent signatures, potentially of deceased Rhode Islanders. There's, uh, and, and most candidates themselves actually rely on others to to do the hard work, the necessary work, and and, and in all honesty, right, the, the gratifying work of collecting signatures. Then, you know, I. I challenged my team. I said, "You know, look, let's. I'll collect. You guys match whatever, whatever we, um, whatever we collect, whatever I collect." And so we exceeded our, our, our one thousand uh, mark, which is really a testament to uh, the level of of excitement uh, and and change that, that folks want to see. But in terms of you know the, the Jamestown, uh, what's going on in Jamestown? Look, I, I, we put out a statement yesterday and it's really you know it's it's troubling it's serious uh the allegations are serious and at the end of the day right i mean free and fair elections right are the foundation of of every healthy democracy you know whether we're talking in another country or right right here at home uh and so i trust that the local board of canvassers you know will will perform their due due diligence i think they'll find the truth and my hope is that they'll, they'll hold those accountable and at the end of the day uphold the integrity of this election for the people of Rhode Island's first district.
0: Well, usually I'd begin with a biographical sketch of who you are, but uh, since this was kind of in the front of the news, uh, in the newscast in front of us, I I had to ask you about it, and I think um, I appreciate your comments on it. So let's uh, get to the interview itself. Uh, Walter, uh, I think um, a biographical sketch of uh, who you are, where you came from, uh, would be sure. helpful to our uh, our audience as they evaluate your candidacy.
1: Sure. Thanks, Roger. Yeah, you know, when you look at the crowded field of folks, especially in the Democratic primary, there's there's quite a few folks. You know, career politicians, political appointees, self-funded folks, millionaires. Uh, but I'm the only candidate in this race who spent... Their career serving our country and our community from the local level to the global level, and really that lifelong commitment to service really started for me at a at an early age when I was a kid. You know, I'm the the son of a cooking cashier, and I grew up washing dishes and waiting tables in my family's restaurant, and 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 a restaurant that my grandfather actually founded uh, after cooking in the Navy during World War II. And so after the war, uh, he and my grandmother they started a family, they saved their money. Uh, and opened a family restaurant, a restaurant, and and a restaurant in a racially divided neighborhood. Uh, and he, and he did that because he wanted to continue serving. He saw how segregated, uh, the South was at the time, and he wanted to bring black and white communities together. He wanted to break down barriers, uh, and by breaking bread. And so, you know, as the son of a cooking cashier growing up and washing dishes and, and waiting tables in my family's restaurant, uh, you know, it taught me at a very early age, you know, the, the value of, of hard work, uh, the values of, of community, of service. And those are values, you know, passed down from my grandparents and parents to my brother and I and also ultimately, you know, guiding me into uh, a life of, of service. Uh, and so after 9-11, uh, I went on into, and graduated from uh, St. Peter's University uh, because, one, I wanted to play Division One football and, two, I wanted to study intelligence analysis uh, because in nine eleven sitting in you know my sitting in front of the TV, you know three questions you know popped into my mind, who could do such a thing and why, and how could the u s government be so vulnerable and how could we let this happen? and so the answers to those questions really sparked a lifelong you know commitment to to service uh, and it was you know at St Peter's actually where I had my first taste of leadership, you know having this. The honor of, you know, being the president of the Criminal Justice Honor Society and and captain of the football team, which, you know, was just an incredible experience. And then, you know, after graduating, I said, you know, I want to continue that lifelong commitment to public service. I want to enlist in it. I actually wanted to become an intelligence officer first. And then, uh, but I wanted to get that deck plate experience. So I enlisted in the Navy uh, first as an operations specialist, which, Focuses mostly on you know, shipboard communications, and then transitioned to become an intelligence specialist, uh, which led me straight to Rhode Island in uh, January of 2007, and uh, been here ever since. And without any money in my pocket, any political connections, uh, and as an enlisted sailor, <clears throat> as an E3 E4, you're not making much money living on base, and so I need to figure out a different, uh, another way to, to supplement my income. So. Was bartending on, on nights and weekends uh, while earning my master's at Salve in Newport, which is where uh, where I met the love of my life, my wife Lori. Uh, Thirteen years later, two kids. Uh, we've got two kids, uh, Aubrey and James. And uh, and then after earning my master's, I said, you know, I became competitive enough to earn a commission as an intelligence officer in the Navy, uh, and spent the next uh, eight years as an intelligence officer on active duty and then transitioned into the reserves where I focused on countering threats to violent extremism. And so and it was mostly supporting U.S. Central Command, which uh, has responsibility for securing U.S. interests in the Middle East. Uh, and then when I transitioned to, to my reserve duty, I then uh, applied actually on the second second or third go-round and became a civilian professor at the U.S. Naval War College in Newport. And uh, and I've been there since uh, for the last 15 years, and it's been it's truly, an honor. I mean, I always describe the Naval War College as, as a national treasure. You know, a place uh, that you're, make, you're able to make such an impact. You know, being able to educate and, and mold the minds of our nation's leaders, being able to directly inform real-world policies and strategies that our Department of Defense, our Department of the Navy, creates and, and executes each day. Uh, but then also being able to strengthen international partnerships, uh, not only from a you know regional perspective, but from a global perspective. And and that's really where my focus has been over the last 15 years, not only uh, uh, from an education and research perspective, trying to figure out ways to prevent war, but also uh, spearheading uh, new initiatives, uh, education programs, research programs to help the U.S. government, more specifically the Department of Defense, better adapt to the impacts of climate change. And that, that work actually brought me. To the state department for a year uh where i had the honor of working for uh, secretary Kerry and admiral papp uh, who at the time was the special representative for the arctic and uh, being able to uh, lead and implement uh, u.s policies for you know to improve you know the economic and living conditions of coastal communities being able to protect the environment uh, and help you know not only Alaskans uh, but folks across the world better adapt to the impacts of climate change and and then uh, more recently during during actually in the middle of covid I was asked by the former secretary of the navy to help lead the development and implementation of the department of the navy's first strategy for the arctic region uh, and so you know that climate change it impacts us in so many different ways you know our economy our environment our national security the future of our planet uh, and so it's just a, a huge, huge topic, and it also relates to, you know, preventing, you know, being able to re- prepare for and respond to disasters, not only across the country but right here at home, uh, and that's honestly one of, the, one of the most gratifying ways of serving has been as, as a community volunteer leader with the American Red Cross here at home, uh, being able to help Rhode Islanders prepare for and, and recover from emergencies and, and disasters. You know whether we're installing you know free smoke alarms in homes um, across Providence or Pawtucket, or providing uh, Rhode Islanders you know life-saving COVID vaccines. Uh, you know it's it's just it's just amazing, especially during COVID, to see how how the best in people come out in the worst of times. Uh, and then in between, you know, I wanted to better so uh, while at the War College uh, in 2012, I ended up earning my doctorate in law and policy because I wanted to better understand, you know, how laws and policies uh, can help people in need. Uh, And so, you know, that the experience of growing up in my family's restaurant, serving in our Navy uh, for 10 years, and educating leaders uh, for the last 15 years really has shaped me into a lifelong commitment in public service. Uh, And and it's, you know, running for Congress and representing the people of Rhode Island's 1st District is a continuation of that.
0: Alright, uh, for our listeners who may have joined us the voice you're hearing and that, that was a good biographical sketch uh, Walter, thank you um, for our listeners uh, just joining us we have uh, Walter Burbrick uh, he's uh, a teacher, he's a professor at the um, Naval War College and, um, and he gave you some of his background leading from uh, humble beginnings to uh, teaching, uh, teaching in Newport um, what I'm going to try to do With the interview, um, Walter, is keep it on federal issues. Um, Sometimes I listen to these interviews and I hear uh, people being interviewed for Congress and they're asking questions about Tidewater in Pawtucket and the Superman building in Providence. Uh, But we're going to really ask you about Ukraine and we're going to ask you about um, Social Security and and, uh, f- and issues that an actual congressman from the first congressional district would have to deal with. However, I'm going to ask you a question about the Naval War College because um, in all the years I've been broadcasting, I I didn't get a chance to do an interview on the on the War College and do. Does War College um uh train uh officers uh from uh from other countries uh, obviously friendly countries uh to um to uh improve their military uh, too? could you I hate to take time out of you but just you just curious about that.
1: Yeah, yeah no absolutely um we, we do the short answer is yes and uh we educate so we there's um I, I want to say the last last um, yeah, I think it was 77 countries uh, from across the world send their their naval uh, officers to the Naval War College uh, from, from all over the world. And they participate in two, two different programs, uh, both at a, at a more senior level but then also at a more intermediate level. Uh, and they have the, the ability to not only be fully integrated into the core curriculum but they also have the ability to, to travel across the country to to really understand you know the history and culture of, of, of our country and so yeah the short answer is yes <laughs> all
0: right we'll, we'll get to uh, some of the uh, we're going to get to a couple of issues and we have to take a commercial break uh, in your interview with um did she actually interview you um katherine greg of uh, the journal uh, this was back in april uh, i'm looking at a story here do you remember yeah, that
1: yeah um I believe we did speak.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, we in did. in the interview, um, here is a couple of things that she identified as uh, as issues. Uh, protect our community, women's right to choose and uh, adapt to climate change. You've already referenced climate change. You're going to get into that right now only because of all the weather that is going on uh, across the United States. And, and in globally, like in Italy right now, uh, they're uh, dealing with temperatures of 100 degrees. Um, they're dealing with... Uh, Hundred and ten today in Phoenix. Uh, it's absolutely crazy down in uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. So, mm-hmm. this issue of climate change—how um, uh, how how, um, how deep are you uh, invested in it? And and in in the Congress, uh, what would you like to see happen?
1: Yeah. So, you know, having the opportunity to focus on climate change issues the last fifteen years has has really um, helped me better understand not only the threat. But how to mitigate that threat. And, and, and in all honesty, Roger, it's, it's been an uphill battle. I mean, being able to convince military leaders over the last 15 years, number one, that climate change is real. The science is real. The impacts are real, are real um, not only globally, but nationally and right here at home in Rhode Island. And as you alluded to, you know, we're seeing the impacts firsthand, the amount of rain, flooding, you know, or, or beaches are, are being eaten away. And so there, there's so many different impacts and I fundamentally believe, you know, climate change is an existential threat, uh, to our economy, to our environment, to that, na- to our national security and to the future of our planet. And I can't tell you honestly how many conversations I've had with folks across the district who share that belief. Uh, and I, I'm on, and I'm really, uh, surprised because I didn't realize how many folks, uh, number one, it's on the you know on the top of their priority list and so i've seen you know the impacts of climate change firsthand uh through my travels across the world uh, whether we're talking in the uae or india or or, or in alaska across the arctic and greenland uh or right here at home in rhode island uh and it, you know it's not some far-off threat it's not some distant threat, distant threat it's it's happening right now it's happening right here at home um you know the flooding in Newport. Is another good example the wildfires, uh, you know, right here in Rhode Island as well. And so, you know, the time to act is, is, you know, is today, but it was also right 20 years ago when, uh, when the science was telling us to act, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it's, you know, this isn't a surprise, but at the same time, uh, so it's, it's harder for me to, to sit back and watch our political leaders, you know, undermine. You know everything that I've spent my two, you know, two decades trying to defend, and and climate change is no different, uh, and it relies on all of us. It relies on all Americans to do our part. Uh, so you know we've got to, and it also, uh, you know, and it's not just you know America, right? The United States isn't in this fight alone. We've got to do this in concert with our allies and partners, and with other countries, even folks who we see as competitors and adversaries, because many of them are impacted too, uh, and so. I think, you know, it's a two-pronged approach. I think quite often in government, we you know, we focus on response, uh, but we also have to talk, we also have to focus more on mitigation. And so for me, it's, you know, being able to, pa- you know, I'm going to focus on passing legislation uh, to make smart investments in clean energy, to, to build and bring clean energy jobs to Rhode Island, uh, to significantly reduce pollution, really in, in all its forms, and to promote laws and policies that enhance, you know, sustainable fisheries and tourism, uh, which is a critical piece to to our economy uh, here at home in
0: Rhode Island. Um, I'm going to bring up a woman's right to choose. This is a prickly issue, uh, especially here in northern Rhode Island. You have to take it from me. I'm a talk show host. I've been doing this for a long time. And so I've already interviewed some congressional candidates who really came out strong on this issue. And because it's uh, such a um, northern Rhode Island, a Catholic area, and, and a lot of people are on the other side of the issue on the subject of abortion, uh, you know, I was getting emails while the show was going on. Um, I'm thinking of one candidate in particular who spent a whole bunch of time on, on this issue, and he, <laughs> he basically lost – no matter what else he said in his interview, that okay. issue – Uh, That issue uh, killed him here uh, in town. So anyway, um, you did mention that um, you believe in uh, strongly a woman's right to choose. How are you going to handle that question here in this town?
1: Yeah, you know, in all honesty, I number one, I I am pro-choice and and don't support uh, limits to abortion. And here's why. You know, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, with women across our district over the last three months and even before. Uh, so many women have just, have, 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 um, have just opened up and, and shared very personal stories about their situation and about why it's important to, to protect a woman's right to choose. Uh, and for me, you know, it's, it's not my body. It's not my choice. And, you know, I believe government at any level really has no business telling a woman what she should or shouldn't do with her body. Uh, it's one of the most difficult decisions a woman can make. Uh, and it's such a personal decision and a decision I think that should be made between a woman and her, and her doctor. Look, and here's the harsh reality, right? I mean, across our country, my daughter, our daughters and granddaughters have less rights than our mothers and grandmothers. And so the Dobbs decision you know, it's an attack on women's rights. It's an attack on my daughter's rights. And it's an attack on every woman in America's rights. And so I will work tirelessly to reverse, you know, the decision, you know, for the betterment of not only women, but all Americans. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's fundamentally woman's right to choose. Uh, and, and folks also often say, are you pro-life, pro-choice? But the life of the mother matters too, right? And so every situation is different. And and just to put, you know, a blanket statement across uh, doesn't really get to the root of the issue, and that's, you know, protecting a woman's right to choose.
0: Thank you. Uh, Break time. Can you hold a few moments while we uh, go into some commercials? Thank you. All right. Our interview uh, continues. We are uh, usually on Tuesday and Wednesday uh, taking some time out to interview the candidates running for Congress in the 1st Congressional District. And um, actually, I shut the... the uh, phone link uh, to Walter off for a second. I'm going to bring it back on. But I, I didn't think as a talk show guy that <laughs> I would be talking and trying to uh, line up as many candidates. And I think we, we probably will pick up a few more candidates today uh, by 5 o'clock uh, when uh, some more uh, are certified. But when you get into this race uh, back uh, in early April, uh, did, did you see this field of candidates uh, so, uh, so broad?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think when I jumped in, I was almost one of the last folks to jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, you know, it, it was one of the hardest decisions, but the easiest decisions, if that makes sense. I mean, one of the hardest because I'm at, you know, the pinnacle of my career, been able to make such an impact. But one of the easiest because, you know, an opportunity like this to serve the American people, to serve Rhode Islanders, you know, doesn't come around often. And we're dealing with so many big issues. And so... You know, I said, if I can get the family on board, if we can put together a great team and, um, and, and, and mobilize a, a, a great volunteer base, then we'll do it. And that's what we did two months ago and hit the ground running and, um, you know, earning every dollar, earning every vote.
0: <laughs> Be back to you in a few moments. Walter, stay with us. Thank you. Uh, and we're going to check in with Community Care Alliance. Lisa, you're on.
1: At Community Care Alliance, our 500 employees are passionate about strengthening lives. Right now, we have job openings that give you the opportunity to build a stronger community with us. We hire every level in multiple disciplines. We offer competitive salaries, a comprehensive benefit package, including generous vacation, sick time, holidays, and competitive medical and dental coverage. Find out more at www.communitycari.com. Or by calling 401-235-7458, your life experience could contribute to the riches and qualities of care that we provide.
0: The go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats, and cheeses, and of course our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762 5114. That's 762 5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. 476 Rathpin Street, One Socket.
1: Inviting you to join us at our family owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's. Perfect for any event.
0: Soup and salad bar now available, and Papa Savini's famous roasted chicken and noodle soup also available by the 32 ounce jar to take home at Savini's Pomodoro. And uh, when we uh, do this advertisement on Tuesdays, we remind you that Tuesday night, after 4 o'clock when we open, we have uh, half price on bottles of wine. $30 bottle of wine, 15 bucks. you can't beat that, at Savini's Pomodoro, one socket. Since 1941, Brigido's Fresh Market, dedicated to quality. Great cuts of meat and fresh produce from the farm. Most importantly, Brigido's was always about superior customer service. With even more premium deli and prepared foods and the finest baked goods. Serving the northern Rhode Island area with three locations. Situate, Pasco, and also 900 Victory Highway in Slatersville. We continue the family tradition with our core values. Stay tuned to WNRI as we continue to update our stores to serve you better and we'll tell you all about it right here. All right, Bridget three convenient locations, and there's one near you, so to speak. All right, we have one more advertisement, and then we'll uh, get back to our uh, interview with Walter Berber. So, what's in your appetite? At Grumpy's in South Bellingham, their menu is so expansive, we can satisfy any taste. You may want to try a Grumpy signature burger. There are 12 to choose from. And if you like seafood, try our broiled seafood sampler of haddock, scallop, shrimp, lobster, and a stuffed quahog to go along. And And you might want to check out a taste of Italy, too, from eggplant, parmesan, spaghetti and meatballs, and many other Italian choices. And you may want to try a grumpy sirloin steak, filet mignon, or a Bourbon Street steak tip dinner. All char broiled to your taste perfection. And we have a nightly menu special and also weekend specials. Kitchen open Friday and Saturday till midnight. Restaurant open seven days a week. It's time to make it a grumpy's experience today. And Grumpy's open for lunch, as uh, we mentioned, looking at the uh, luncheon menu for $7.99. How about a nice uh, meatball Parmesan sandwich? We've got the marinara sauce on there, the Italian blend cheese, and then oven baked on a torpedo roll, served with their hand-cut homemade French fries. We're Grumpy's, and we're a great place for lunch today. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. All kinds of ways to access us. Uh, some listening on our traditional AM side of the dial since 1954, 1380, 99.9 FM. And I can see a whole bunch of people streaming uh, as we look at our, uh, F, our uh, streaming at WNRI.com. And then they, they stream us in a whole bunch of other ways with TuneIn Radio and, wow, well, anyway, we're reaching, uh, reaching some people, and we're back to Walter Burbrick. How are you doing over there? Outstanding. Thank you. Good. All right. Uh, You're a military guy, and um, Ukraine is in, is in the news. Um, we are expanding um, uh, our commitment to, uh, to Ukraine and, and the military forces there. It is a delicate situation. Uh, you're a guy that deals with uh strategy sometimes at the war college, and if you're a congressman, this is a federal <clears throat> a federal matter this is uh, not a Rhode island um uh, you know uh develop, land development thing this is serious business so do you come down um on uh, on the side of uh of holding the line where we are or or uh, should we uh continue to help them uh, so that um maybe they could bring a a negotiated settlement.
1: Yeah, you know, I think this is one of the biggest reasons why we need the right leader in Congress and you know someone who understands the urgency of this problem uh and actually and has the experience of, of thinking through it and dealing with it, you know, over the last 15 years as a professor in the War Gaming Department, my num- my primary job is to bring leaders together to analyze uh, threats through, through war games. And, and you can imagine different scenarios where that might take place. And this situation here is no different. Right. And for me, it's, you know, as the leader of the free world, we, United States, we have a responsibility and an obligation to defend democracy and to preserve peace. And throughout my career, I've witnessed firsthand, you know, the incredible impact of leaders in and out of uniform, and I believe each generation has the obligation to answer the call to service. And it's our time now. Uh, you know, we have an obligation to help the people of Ukraine defend themselves um, from Russia's you know illegal war, uh, a war Putin has launched to bring Ukraine back into the Soviet uh, era orbit. And so, it's in our national interest to give Ukraine everything that they need to repel uh, and counter Russia's invasion. And just to be clear, I do not want to see our men and women ever fighting in Ukraine. And I never want to see the day where where the Russian army is crossing a NATO border uh, where we have to actually where Article 5 is invoked and we have to go out there and actually fight them. Um, because that is the situation that military leaders, senior government leaders are working every day to prevent. And so working on you know, on classified research projects in war games to to focus on how do how do we deter or how do we prevent that situation from happening is so, so critical. Uh, and so we need to give Ukraine what they need to beat, beat them and, you know, beat them now to drive them out. Uh, and I believe that will not only secure Europe, but it will, it will at the end of the day, make our country safer. It'll make, uh, it'll make America safer. Uh, And, you know, we are one decision away from global warfare, and it's it's very real. And I I believe senior leaders recognize that. But it's important that we have folks in Congress who also recognize that, uh, and that can work across the board, both on the the Democrat side and the Republican side, to bring folks together to better understand not only our interests, but how we tackle this threat, not only in the weeks and months ahead, but in the years ahead.
0: So, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out um, um, are you Are you saying this is about as far as we should go with um, with Ukraine uh, in terms of uh, military assistance?
1: But no, I, I mean I think. I think we should continue, you know, for example, you know, providing them F-35s, mm-hmm. right? That, that's been a, a hot-button issue for folks. Uh, and I believe it's, it's critical. In order to, to, to gain and maintain air superiority, um, the F-35s are going to be a critical capability uh, for Ukrainians to do that, to, to, to thwart uh, Russian air forces. And, to, um, and to, so once you gain air superiority you have a better chance of achieving the conditions on the ground that you want to achieve. And so I think we can do more and we should do more, but we have to be very smart and strategic about what we do, how we do it, and who we do it with so that we don't cross a red line and and trigger an Article 5 where Russia is now compelled to attack a NATO ally.
0: Circling back to climate change, one of our listeners writes, uh, Good morning, Roger. Your guest cites climate change. What's his definition of climate change? What facts and figures can he quote and, more importantly, sources? And so uh, on this whole issue of, uh, of climate change, you you do believe that some people uh, say that um, we're just going through an, a phase here. And uh, so this guy uh, is saying, um, you know, prove to me that there's climate change. I don't know if you can do that. It, If you already haven't done that. (laughs) Any comment?
1: What the question is?
0: Sure. The guest guest he's referring to you cites climate change. What is his definition of climate change? What facts and figures can he quote? And most importantly, sources. Gotcha.
1: Uh, Yeah. So I think, you know, there's there's a number of efforts, both with the United Nations, uh, committee on climate change uh which is a you know uh some of the very best scientists across the world have come together and have agreed and published reports on how the climate is changing over time and what those impacts are on uh on folks across on coastal communities but on countries across the world you know a couple other sources that you know that are worth uh, looking at also you know, some of the great work done by NOAA, um, the National Ice Center uh, has a number of resources available for folks, and and, and those, are, those are great resources because those are resources that, uh, you know, that our government relies on, our Navy relies on, um, the, you know, se- senior policymakers, and so, you know, those, those are just a few key uh, resources that I would, you know, encourage folks to just take a peek at and just to understand, one, how the... How the climate's changing, but two, what those impacts are. And for example, I mean, it you know the the UN Convention on Climate Change, I, I, the the panel itself agrees that you know for example, in the Arctic is warming four times the rate as anywhere else in the world, and so you know the Arctic is ground zero to climate change, and it's because you know the 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 sun rather than uh, you know. Bouncing off of white ice, it's a, the the dark ocean surface is absorbing ninety percent of it, and so you, you have this vicious cycle now, where as the ice melts, it you know, more dark ocean begins to to expand and provides, and then you see that the constant warming, and so that's why we're seeing, you know, more, the the region warm, but then also we're seeing those impacts across the uh, across the across the world.
0: Was there a time, um, um, let's say, 15 years ago, when you thought it was a bunch of baloney, and, and then uh, experience has brought you to uh, where you are today? Thinking?
1: No, not not, not, not really. really. You know, because for me, one of the you know my my interest and experience in the re- in it you know stemmed really 16 years ago, 15 years ago, when at the time the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Gary Ruffett asked the Naval War College to do uh, a war game uh, called the Global Shipping Game where he was interested in better understanding the strategic security implications as a result of changes in global shipping patterns. And one of the scenarios was the melting Arctic in 2035 and another was the expansion of the Panama Canal. So how does that change global shipping patterns? Fast forward six months, the the admiral in charge uh, at, at the time of fleet forces which is responsible for organize, organizing training and equipping the U.S. Navy challenged the war college uh, and, and I took the lead on, on the design and analysis for this um, to you still there? Yes, I'm right here. Okay, sorry. I lost you. Uh, to lead the analytic efforts to understand what are the, the capability gaps the Navy has in the Arctic, and and to my surprise, right, I cannot believe that the world's most powerful Navy, uh, you know, you, you see the commercials anytime, any place, uh, but the half joking is except for the Arctic, because the, the you know if, if you you know if you can believe it, the U.S. Navy has zero ice strengthened hulls that are capable of operating in the high north, right? And so I learned that 15 years ago. And for me, it was kind of that 9-11 moment where I said, wow, how can the world's strongest Navy be so vulnerable and and not be prepared for operations in the high north? Uh, And so that catapulted and kind of, you know, sparked my interest in the Arctic, but also just the impacts of climate change uh, on our national security and our defense uh, force as well.
0: You've been studying it a long time, huh? Um, listener question. By clean energy, Walter, do you mean clean nuclear power? What's your position on nuclear power? Navy uh, has uh, nuclear submarines. I'm just wondering whether you think um, nuclear power here on the mainland uh, is uh, got a future. It, it does. You know,
1: it's. I think we need to transition to a clean energy economy. We need to, you know, we need to transition to solar, to wind, to alternative uh, clean energy sources. But we also need to, you know, we also need to understand that. And Rhode Island is becoming a leader in that, right? And so from a geopolitical perspective or really from a national security perspective, it's important that we realize, number one, that we we have to diversify our energy sources right think about it if our, if the only source of energy was wind or was solar right and our adversaries were successful at attacking our solar grid or uh our wind turbines right we would we would be in a very bad situation right we wouldn't be able to keep our lights on we wouldn't be able to drive anywhere we wouldn't run water put food on the table the very basics of operating uh, and so at the same time we need to diversify and, and maintain a healthy diversification of our of our energy sources to prevent an incident like that but in terms of natural gas and and even nuclear more specifically i think you know we need to we need to have those sources of of energy in place uh and we need to make make sure that they're safe that they're you know that they're cleaner and and most efficient as possible
0: and now um we're going to turn to social security uh we uh interview uh democrats here and um and, of course, um, if they're uh, running against a Republican, uh, sure. they say that Social Security is under, uh, under attack and so forth. Um, uh, and a lot of our listeners uh, are on Social Security, they're on SSI, uh, they're on Medicare, they're using Medicaid. So uh, there's social programs that people cannot picture being without. And, um, first of all, uh, do you believe that it's under attack? By Republicans, and um, and are you uh, a strong believer uh, in fighting for Social Security? I would imagine the answer is yes. As you begin your answer,
1: the answer is yes and yes. Okay. <laughs> so the uh, you know yes and yes, and here's why, right? I mean, over you know, there's over 65 million Americans today that receive Social Security benefits. Nearly a quarter million uh, Rhode Islanders receive Social Security benefits. My own parents, right? And so every Rhode Islander deserves a shot at retirement. And the truth is it's becoming harder and harder to live today but also to save for tomorrow. You know, the folks coming out of college, uh, young professionals, folks like, you know, hard, you know, hardworking, middle-class families like ours, you know, we're, we're feeling it. And so it's important uh, that we – and so, so that's a big reason why I'm going to fight as hard as possible to make sure that our social security and Medicare is there for our seniors, folks like my parents and, and millions across our country who not only depend on it, but expect it, right. They, they have, they have put in their hard earned dollars throughout their life and expect to receive these benefits and benefits that they need. And, and so I'll fight to make retirement security, uh, you know, a separate, a separate debate from some of the other budget debates, right. It often gets rolled up into a broad budget debate and, and you know, quite often, the folks who who uh, who are hurt most are are, are seniors because of the, the politics folks play and the, and the and the divisiveness that that's going on right now in Washington. And you know, one of the things I learned firsthand uh, growing up in our family restaurant is customer service. Right? What, and if your patrons are not happy, then they won't come back. You know, same holds true for Social Security, which is why I'm going to fight hard to make sure that Social Security Administration has the resources that they need to provide excellent customer service for our for our seniors. Uh, so it's not only protecting the actual benefits but it's it's making sure that we uh that the administration has the resources that it needs to make sure our seniors have access to the to the to the resources and care and benefits that they need. You know, on the Medicare side, you know, there's over 60 million Americans who count on Medicare each and every day uh you know for their families and for themselves. And so, you know, I will fight tirelessly to protect benefits, increase access to, to care and services, and really at the end of the day, improve the overall quality of care, uh, and right to make sure that this program is financially healthy and it's strong for my children and their, and their, and their children. Uh, you know, Medicare should, you know, should cover a person, um, from head to toe. And that means dental. That means. Uh, Vision, And so, you know, and to do this, right, we have to make sure that we have the best workforce in place. That means better wages, better benefits, better retirement. Uh, And to your point about the House Republicans, look, the House Republican plan, number one, raises retirement age. It it hands Medicare to insurance companies, slashes Medicaid, uh, and their plan at the end of the day gets Big Pharma off the hook, right? By by repealing Medicare's authority to negotiate some of the drug prices that, that Democrats passed last year. Uh, and it slashes Medicaid to the bone, which, you know, threatens critical care, you know, the programs that we need at nursing homes uh, that benefit, you know, folks like my parents, grandparents uh, and folks across Rhode Island that they that they depend on. Uh, so the Republican plan, I believe it's a, it's a disaster for working families. And I will fight tirelessly every step of the way to make to, to fight that off. Um, here's what I'll also fight for. That's important for our seniors. Right. Is number one. You know, for, you know, the family caregivers who are often not talked about, often overlooked, um, lowering drug prices. You know, I, I can't tell you how many seniors that I've talked to who are paying hundreds, thousands of dollars a month on, on drug, on life-saving prescription drugs. It's absolutely ridiculous and it's not sustainable. And number three, you know, providing tax relief for older Americans, um, and also protecting them from scams and fraud. You know, I've, we've come across a number of folks, folks who I know very well, um, who have been the victim of scams and fraud. Uh, and it's, well, number one, they, they need to understand the vulnerabilities that are in place, and number two, how to mitigate them. Uh, so those those are, in addition to protecting Social Security and Medicare, those are three or four big areas that I will continue to fight for for our seniors.
0: A few more moments here. Uh, let's see, one of our listeners has a comment. We'll take a break, too. We'll let you comment on her comment. Sandra writes... Uh, Good morning, Roger and Professor Berbrick. And yes, Walter Berbrick, candidate for Congress, will be on the ballot September five. Our guest today Um, says here he has an impressive resume, but he lost me at no limits on abortion at five months. It's a viable baby with heartbeat and breathing like you and me. No pro choice for that innocent life. Question mark. Final comments. Climate change is real, but hopefully you're not on the Biden bandwagon with his extreme green deal, new deal. And good luck with your campaign and, <laughs> and keep a close eye on Sabina Matos. Right, Sandra? Okay. <laughs> Here you go. You're on, Walter.
1: Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it.
0: All right. Where do you want to start? She's on abortion. Um, do you want to uh, clarify anything there or uh, you're going to just hold your, um, your comments?
1: Yeah, no, I I think just to reiterate the fact that look, every situation is different, right? And to to just completely ban uh, a woman's right to choose, right, doesn't protect the life of a woman either, right? Because in many cases, there there are women out there who are in a situation, or the fetus, or the baby, or, or the baby, which is in in some cases is very, you know, is, is in a place where uh, both the woman or the child is. Uh, the life of them is at uh, the, the jeopardy, and so that's why that's why I'm, I'm I'm very you know passionate about this because there are situations in place where where women need to have the right to choose, and I believe they should.
0: All right, and um, let me see here. Um, you know what I. I moved on to my next email and I deleted her when she had something else, too, uh, to comment on. Let me see if I can, if I can find it here. Um, I can't. Hey, I'm going to go to a break anyway and then we'll get back to your final, uh, comments. Okay. So, all right, stay right along with us, Walter Burbrick. Uh, today is, uh, Tuesday Burger and Beer Special at River Falls, uh, right on the Blackstone River. Beautiful dining outside if you choose. And uh, if you uh, enjoy this uh, for $15, um, it starts at 4 o'clock this afternoon, burger and beer special at River Falls Restaurant. Remember, they're open for lunch. And tomorrow we'll be telling you about Wednesday's Dinner for Two. And now a message from Kay Kasha, certified public accountants of Woonsocket and Warwick. Kear Kosher, your accounting, financial planning, tax preparation, and business consulting services of Woonsocket and Warwick, 600 Cass Avenue, Woonsocket, Jefferson Boulevard, and Warwick. Call us locally at 766-8100. Remember, outside of the tax season, we do planning for business, individuals, and families. We're K.R. Kosher. We're certified public accountants. Again, our local number, 766-8100. And remember, having Kear Kosher to consult with on your personal financial situation is like having all the right answers. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. Congress, First Congressional District candidates, Walter Burbrick with us. Back to uh, Sandra's email uh, and that is, uh, are you on the Biden bandwagon for Green New Deal or what?
1: You are asking me if I'm supportive of the Green New Deal?
0: Yeah, but yes, that's what Sandra is asking you. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that was left over um, from that last question.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the I think you know what the, the president. What was it back in April? I think close to when I think I launched launched this effort. I think convened a bunch of leaders um, in, a, in a forum and you know referenced number one the how, how the claim uh, how the the climate is changing, um, but I think he, he he laid out four key areas that that I believe are critical. Um, and one one is decarbonizing the, our energy, right? And it's what I what I mentioned to uh, to you before about whether that's driving down emissions for our power and transportation sectors, whether that means you know scaling up some of the, our ambitious ambitious um, zero emission vehicle goals, whether that's decarbonizing our international shipping industry. Right. There are a number of different steps that we can take uh, as a country and as a global community to reduce black carbon emissions. It's something that I helped spearhead while I was at the State Department. Um, but having said that, right, it, it's the other side of the coin where we need to maintain a healthy balance of, of diversified energy sources uh, for, to, you know, for our national security interests. Um, he also lays out a number of other areas, right? I think he lays out something about de- you know ending deforestation, uh, you know, in, in some critical um, forest areas. Uh, you know, tackling you know some of the, the non CO two climate pollutants. Whether we're talking some of the some of the methane emissions and some of the accelerating hydrofluorocarbon hydro-fluor- uh, carbon. Uh, you know, advancing carbon management. And so there are a number of key areas that I think that his plan lays out and that, that have some merit, but at the same time, look, it's going to take, it's going to take all of us and there is no perfect deal. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we as a country, and this is where, and this is where a lot of my, my, my efforts and interest and work will lie is bringing, uh, a, a different level of leadership to Washington. One that will help, um, uh, Bring leaders from not only the Democratic Party, but from the both parties together, uh, to reach common ground for the common good, to advance, uh, our, our efforts to make our world and our country and our communities cleaner and greener, but at the same time, safer and more affordable, right? And so it's that balance of being able to grow the economy while at the same time making sure that we, we provide our um, our our kids and, and our grandkids uh, uh, a safer
0: and cleaner uh, world. We're done. Keep an eye on Sabrina. <laughs> that's the final word. Nice uh, interviewing you, uh, and we wish you uh, the best. Hope to see you up here sometime in uh, in Woonsocket Town, um, and uh, we'll um, we'll consider your candidacy uh, on the ballot on September five. Walter, thank you for thank uh, you, Roger. I
1: appreciate yeah, appreciate the opportunity and. Uh, I uh, hope, I encourage folks to, to visit our website at walterburbrick.com, and, uh, and I hope to have the honor of, of earning your vote on September 5th.
0: Fair enough. Thank you. Have a good day. Walter Burbrick, candidate for Congress, 1st Congressional District. Tomorrow, Sandra Kano, Senator from Pawtucket. This has been WNRI's Upfront, presented weekday mornings at 8 a.m. Upfront is a regular public affairs presentation of New Talk 1380, WNRI socket.